The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Solomon wrote over a thousand songs, the Bible tells us. A couple seemed to be in the Psalter, but only one song has a distinct and unique place as a book in the Bible. And it's this one that we call the Song of Solomon. And the reason why it has a unique and special place in the Bible is because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it is doing what the Holy Spirit always does, sets forth Christ. Its purpose is not to inform us of earthly love between any man and his spouse, but it is having the purpose of showing to us the far greater love that is between Jesus Christ, the heavenly bridegroom, and his spouse, the church of Jesus Christ, which he bought with his blood. I'm not one bit embarrassed whenever I say that I give to this book an allegorical interpretation. We want to hear and see Christ. And in order to hear and see Christ, we have to interpret it that way. And that is the way the church has always interpreted it. Now the scholars and the liberals and the educated, void of the Holy Spirit, may mock us for seeing Christ in it. And for hearing Christ in it. Not hearing Solomon, but Jesus Christ. That's what we hear. So let me say plainly that in our text it is Christ, the bridegroom who is speaking when he says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys as the lily among thorns. So is my love among the daughters. That's Christ speaking. And it's just the word that we need to hear tonight as we soon sit down with him at his table. We want to hear his voice. We want to hear his word. I want to hear Christ speaking in these words. And in verse 1, he speaks about himself. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. And in verse 2, he speaks about the church, about believers. As the lily among the thorns, so is my beloved among the daughters. And he says these two things about himself, first of all, in verse 1. And then he says, similarly, two things about the church in verse 2. He is presenting himself to her. He's revealing to her his beauty. And he's telling her what she means to him in these words. 
So two things about himself and two things about his bride. What he is to her and what she is to him. And these are beautiful words. And it's all sweet. It's all lovely. And it's to encourage us, you see, that we might see how lovely Jesus Christ is. How desirable. And there's none like him. He's altogether lovely. He is sweetness. He is beauty. He is fragrance. He is all of these things. And he's assuring us of his love for us. And he's just telling us how precious you are to him as his bride. Now the language is the language of the beauty of the field. It's using the language of the garden, isn't it? The language of the field. Flowers, roses and lilies and all of that. Mankind, you see, we have an appreciation of the beauty of the field and of the garden. Even yet, even though we're sinners, even though we're blinded and our minds and our understandings are somewhat twisted, we can still appreciate beauty. The beauty of the field, the beauty of the flower, the beauty of nature. Even yet, even though we're not in paradise, and paradise must have been a wonderful place. God put man in a garden, didn't he, when he made him? That's not without design. A wonderful place for man, the trees, the flowers, the air, the breeze, the scent, the noises, the birds in the trees, the fragrance in the, in the gentle breeze, the movement and the swaying of the trees and the flowers. What harmony. A man, the new man and the new woman in their sinlessness could so appreciate it. All the provision. How sweet. And this book constantly uses that kind of imagery, the imagery that you may find in paradise. But of course, it's not in paradise. It's in a fallen world. And whenever Adam and Eve were in paradise, in those flowers and in those trees, etc., Adam did not just see beauty of the creature. He saw the beauty of the Creator through them. He saw God in the beauty. He saw a lily. He saw God. He saw a rose. He saw the Lord. That's what he saw. And more importantly, he heard. He heard God saying things like this. I am the rose. I am the lily. He didn't care what they were made of. He wasn't a scientist, Adam, or his wife Eve. They were worshippers. They didn't care what it was made of. They just saw its beauty. They didn't dissect it and cut it up and put it under the microscope and destroy it in their attempt to understand it and become superior over it. No, they admired it. And in the creature, they saw the far greater beauty of the Creator. What is beauty? What is beautiful? Beautiful is a reflection of God because He is beauty itself. So Adam and Eve didn't see the creature, they saw the Creator, they heard the Creator in the creature. He looked at the lily and He heard God say, I am the lily and I am the rose. We don't hear that anymore. 
because of sin. But Christ wants us to hear it again. I am the rose. I am the lily of the valleys. And we don't hear it because, as I said, we're sinners. And we don't want God, but we still want the flowers. We still want the beauty. But we don't want the beautiful one seen in them, the maker of them. We don't want him. Sinners don't want him. We don't want to see God. We don't want to hear God. But we want to collect the flowers, put them in the vase, and enjoy the beauty. And now people worship the creature and cast God out, the creator. That's not what God wants. So whenever I hear these words, I hear God. I don't hear Solomon. If the liberals want to hear Solomon, if the scholars want to hear Solomon, if the scholars want to explain to us how Solomon is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley, well, let them do that. But that's not the church's interpretation of Scripture. The church says this is Jesus Christ, who is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. I recognize the accent. That's why I read John chapter 15. I am the true vine. This is the way the Lord speaks concerning the things of nature. I'm the true, I'm the reality. That is just the creation of my mind manifesting a glimmer of something that is internally and eternally in me. Everything that God made was made by the locust, by the eternal word, and everything is a reflection of himself. There are roses because the eternal word is the first rose. And there are lilies because the lily was in the mind of God when he made it. And he made it in some way to manifest something of his own glory. It's a glimmer of himself. And that's how we should read the creation and see God in the creature and worship him, the creator. So I recognize this accent. I am the rose. It sounds like I am the true bread. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. Christ, the eternal word is thus speaking to us. And that's why I know this is not Solomon. I mean, how can anybody speak about this? I'm sadly again. How can a man come along and say, I'm the rose of Sharon, I'm the lily of the valley. What nonsense. What does the Bible say? Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth. A stranger, and not thine own lips. No man can praise himself like this, and say, oh, I'm this and that, I'm the rose. Only the Lord has the right to say this. So I interpret this the way the church has always traditionally interpreted this. In an allegorical sense, it's Christ in the book. And I'm not embarrassed about that. And the Lord blesses that interpretation and has saved sinners and has edified saints down through the ages by means of it. And that's the way I take it tonight, as the words of Christ. I don't want to dissect the Bible in such a way as I'm left dead and don't see Christ and don't hear Christ and learn nothing of the Redeemer and don't have any fellowship with him. 
I don't want to handle the Bible like that. The church has never handled the Bible like that. The church has always found Christ everywhere in Scripture. And that's how the Spirit has meant it to be. As I say, there is something like paradise language here whenever the Lord talks like this. But he's not in paradise. And as Christ says it, he knows that. Because he doesn't say, I am the rose of Eden. I am the lily of Eden. That's not what he says. He did say that before the fall. He did say that before there was sin. He did say that before man was driven out of the paradise and and driven away from the paradise. He did say that. But man's not in Eden anymore. And there's no point talking in Eden anymore because there's no man there to hear. And so the Lord has to come down to tell us, I am the rose. I am the lily. He comes into the world to tell us. And so now, it's not a paradise word, now it is a gospel word. The rose of Sharon. The lily of the valleys. Just the kind of flower we need. The sinners. These are lowlands. These are valleys. Low places. There are the darker places. Not up in the brightness of the light. Not up in the heights. The lower places. The wilder places. Not gardens proper. Not paradise proper. But he is there. Because he has come down to the lowlands. He's come down to sinners. He's come down to us who are fallen in sin. He's come down to show himself to us. To reveal himself to us. To quicken us from our dead state. And to raise us up again. So he's come to call us. And to reveal himself to us. And to show his beauty to us. To allure us. And to attract us. To win us and to woo us. You see paradise. Eden. Was on a mountain top. The Bible teaches that. I mean that's why there were four rivers coming out of it. Because it's on the mountain top. And they're going outwards because they're going down. Eden is the first mountain in the Bible. And there on that mountain, there's sinlessness, there's perfection, there's perfect communion with God. That is why we have the theology of mountains in the Bible. Sinai, Calvary, all these other places, the mountains that are so often mentioned in the Bible. And the first mountain was Eden. A man was on it with God. But you know the story. Man fell, he was driven out, he wasn't only driven out, he was driven down. Down into the valleys, down into the lowlands. No longer on the mountaintop. Yes, man wants to build his Babel, man wants to build up again by his own works and his own righteousness. He wants to ascend into the hill of the Lord, but that's not how it's done. He has to come down to us. Down to below, down to the valley, down to us in the dark places where we're found. And so the first time we read of a valley in the Bible, 
is in Genesis 14, and there the word frequently occurs. And in that chapter, it's an awful place. It's full of slime pits. There was a slaughter there. There was a battle of the kings there. There was a lot of death and destruction there. The armies are mustering. Because these valleys, they're the plains below, and they're important places for the congregating of armies so that they can fight and battle. It's a war zone. And here's the lily of the valleys. And the rose of such places as, as Sharon. The valley places are suitable for warfare, for armies mustering, and it's full of treacherous slime pits in Genesis 14, and it's actually in the Dead Sea region, that area in Genesis 14. Fire and brimstone and all of that is about that, in that valley, that first valley. And then you remember Ezekiel's vision. You remember God took Ezekiel and he, he, he carried him away in the spirit, in the vision, and he set him down where in the midst of the valley. And all around there were the bones of dead armies. Full of dead men's bones, he says. The valley. Same place. Similar word. Christ's bride is found in such a place. Among the dead bones. In the strife. In the slime pits. In the place of uncleanness. In the place of warfare and battle. In the place of death and destruction. Slime pits and slimy sinners. A place of judgment to come. Such as fell upon the Dead Sea region. Fire and brimstone. I'm the lily of the valleys. The rose of Sharon. And Christ comes down to find his bride there. Leaving paradise to come down to us. Not content just to be the rose of paradise there on his own. But no, he comes down for his bride, as we're so often told in this book, skipping and leaping upon the mountains and coming down to his bride to find her and to draw her. There's something else that shows that it's not paradise. Verse 2, where is the lily? Among thorns. There were no thorns in paradise. The thorns are a result of the curse but now she's in the lowlands, she's in the fallen place, in the very midst of a thick thorn bush, surrounded by these thorns. There she is, and he has to come down to obtain her. The flowers, of course, are beautiful flowers that are named the rose and the lily. And, of course, they picture the beauty of him who is the first of all, our blessed Lord Jesus the altogether lovely one that the bride described sometimes in this very book itself. This is my beloved. This is my friend. He is so attractive to me. He's so beautiful. Now, whenever Christ came among men, I don't think he took to himself a handsome body. I don't think that the Lord was necessarily good-looking, physically speaking. I mean, the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And the man was only 30. I mean, how would you see it feel if you're only 30? And someone says to you, you're not 50 yet. Wouldn't you, you wouldn't be too thrilled at that. His body was worn. In fact, when people see him, they see no beauty in him to desire him. His beauty was not necessarily a physical beauty when he came among us. Not pretty, necessarily. And certainly by the time the Romans had finished with him, the torture and all the, the tearing and the crucifixion and the agony on the cross... He, he wasn't a, 
a pretty sight at all. He was so marred more than any man. But he had a beautiful soul. Where true beauty lies, you know. There have been very handsome people who have been very ugly inside. And there have been very ugly people who are altogether very beautiful inside. And Jesus was beautiful. Morally beautiful. The beauty of holiness that surpassed all men. The rose. The lily. Supreme preeminent. The solitary rose, the solitary lily in all the earth, excellent in beauty above all others. In fact, there are no other roses or lilies at all in this fallen world. There never was until Jesus Christ came into it and began to show us what a rose is and what a lily is among men. Jesus. Our Lord Jesus. Not Saul, but our Lord Jesus. Our King of glory. And there are no other lilies and no other roses except the one that he finds in his grace, in the thorn bush. And she is made a rose by his grace, you see. So there's only two lilies in the whole planet. Jesus. The supreme and pure lily and the lily that is made one through grace as she is plucked out of the thorn bush. His bride, his lily. Didn't I say we're going to focus on what we are going to become? Not what we were. We are to become lilies. And that's how he views us as he finds us. Not that we are that, literally, but he sees what his grace will make us to become. So he's going to make us like himself, isn't he? Lovely, beautiful. Our dear Lord, bless his holy name. And he was beautiful. He had in him dwelling all the fullness of beauty. Grace was poured into his lips, the Bible says. Holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. He was holiness itself. Holiness unto the Lord. The beauty of holiness in him. The law of God in his heart. What does the Bible say? Thou shalt see the king in his beauty. Yes, he's a beautiful rose. He is a beautiful lily. And this is the promise that he gives us, that our eyes shall behold his beauty, and we shall be like him hereafter in glory. Have you seen his beauty? It's magnetic. It's alluring. You know when you see something, attractive, something beautiful, you can't take your eyes off. You just want to sit down there and you just want to look at it. Those flowers, that, that beautiful scene there. I tell you, Jesus Christ is magnetic. His beauty is alluring. It is attracting. It draws. It draws. And that's why he says and presents himself, I am the rose of Sharon to allure us, to us, to win us. And you want to look again and again and again and to see more of the Lord. That's the way it ought to be. Have you seen something of his beauty? 
Has it captured you? Has it ravished you? Has it intoxicated you so that you are addicted to looking at him? You know how people get addicted to looking at that which is unclean, but which is to them attractive and beautiful, but so depraved are the hearts of men. But Jesus wants us to be addicted to his beauty. True beauty. True holiness. Do you long to see him more? Have you ever seen him? Oh, pray God that you may, that you may catch a glimpse of his beauty and say, show us Jesus every week, appealing to the preacher, show us Jesus, we would see the beauty of the Lord. Let the beauty of the Lord be in the midst of our church. Let the beauty of the Lord be upon us, that we may see his beauty. Just him. These flowers, of course, that our Lord chooses, amongst all the flowers, are not only beautiful, but they are very fragrant. Very overpowering is the scent of them. And so the Lord appeals not just to our sight, but he appeals to other of our senses as well. And so he is fragrant. He has a scent about him. Now some fragrance are sickening. They're nice for a little while, but you get tired of them, you get bored with them, they, they become overpowering, they become sickening. You know the search that mankind has been in for, for the perfect perfume, the perfect scent that will always be attractive. That will remain. And yet not so remain as to be perpetually sickening. I don't think we've ever found that perfect scent. Jesus is it. Jesus is the perfect scent, the perfect fragrance. He appeals to our senses, to our heart, to our needs. And so mankind finds in him a scent that revives, that refreshes, that changes, that transforms, that sticks to us and clings to us so that we ourselves participate in that scent and become something of the likeness of him. You know, whenever it is, whenever, you know, maybe someone has perfume, you shake hands with them, and lo and behold, you're going out with perfume on your hands, something of the scent. Oh, that's what it is with Jesus. So richly perfumed, that if we take hold of him, if we embrace him, if we hold his hand and fellowship with him, we come away with something of that fragrance upon us. At least that's how it ought to be. And may it be so. May the Lord cause us to be fragrant with his scent. He's always the same too. This scent, it never fades. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He's precious because of this. You know, the Bible, particularly in the Song of Solomon, there's so much of this kind of language. His lips are like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. Didn't the Apostle Paul say that he was the savour, the fragrance of life unto some? And so he is. His fragrance revives us. It quickens us. Oh, it puts hope in us. It takes away the dullness and the darkness. And it just gives us hope. 
His garments, the Bible says, they smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. His house is fragrant. The bride talks about the mountains of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. And it says concerning the people of God that the garments are as the smell of Lebanon. All of this comes from Christ. His fragrance is so wonderful. And that's why we can come to God. Because his fragrance covers the stench of our depravity and our sinfulness. He is so sweet and so fragrant that in God's presence he only sees his son. And those people who cling to his garments and who are behind his garments and who are under his skirts, those people partake of that fragrance of Christ and are accepted in him. That's what you have in Christ. Accepted. The smell of him. And his presence ought to sweeten us. Do you know anything of this fragrance? Do you have anything of it on your own body and soul? Do men and women take knowledge of us that we have been with Jesus? May it be so. May the Lord so work in his people that we may be given the fragrance of Christ. And so renowned for the beauty and for the fragrance. But you know, whenever the Lord is saying, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley, he's saying something else. You see, there were multitudes of these things, these flowers in, in those areas, in the fields below. And you know, the people could come and they could pick them. And often did. You know the way it is, they pick the flowers and they bring them home and they're little Palestinian houses, they're little humble homes and they have these flowers just to brighten things up and to make them feel better. And just to put a wee bit of sweetness in all the troubles of life. What a flower can do. I think you have something of like that whenever we bring flowers to people that are sick and unwell. But we know something of, of this encouragement that they give. And Jesus wants to sweeten our lives. He wants to brighten our lives. He wants to encourage us. He wants to be part of our lives. And he's a lily of the valley. And he's a rose of Sharon. So that we can come along and pick him. This is what he's saying. I'm accessible. I can be picked. I can be chosen. Doesn't matter who you are. And there are all kinds of Jews and Hebrews in Bible times. You know, there were the self-righteous. And there were the sinners. And there were the Sadducees. And there were the Pharisees. And all this and that, whatever you want to divide people up into, as they walk through these areas, they, they could pick and choose. And Jesus is at hand. If we but choose him, if we but pick him, this rose, this, this is what I need in my life. This is what I need to cheer me on the way. This is what I need to lift me up. This is what I need the very rose of Sharon himself and the very lily of the flowers. And you can have him. You can have him. You can choose him. You can pick him. You can pluck him. But you have to take him by the hand of faith and make him yours. As the bride did, this is my beloved. I am his. He is mine. So choose Christ. Pick the Saviour. 
this beautiful, fragrant Redeemer who will bring the cheer and brightness of his hope of salvation into our lives. This is why he tells us this. I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valleys. Isn't his voice wonderful? So let us choose him. And to him be glory and praise. Amen.